Our scripture lesson this morning is from Acts chapter 21, beginning with the seventh verse. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this, your word. I pray that you would open up my mouth to speak your words this morning, and I pray that you would encourage us through them. Let me not say anything that is not of you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, down through history, mankind has always wanted to uh, hear messages from the supernatural realm. One example of this desire was indicated by the popularity of the oracle at Delphi. The oracle dated back to 1400 BC and was the most important site in the ancient Greece uh, spiritual world. People would come from distances to receive prophecies from the priestess of Apollos, who would give cryptic messages in exchange for money, for gold. But one of the problems with the messages was the credibility of them. Because if you didn't like the sound of your first prophecy, you could give an additional gift of gold and get a different message. A good example of this was the famous incident of the Battle of Samalus, when the priestess first predicted doom, and then later, after they paid more money, <laughs> predicted that a wooden wall, interpreted by the Athenians to mean a sh their ships, would save them. Well, these kinds of doubtful messages would cause great skepticism that was even possible to hear from the gods. And this is why it's so astounding here when we look at the Bible, a man, Jesus, who bursts on the scenes. And not only was he a prophet, but he actually claimed to be the Son of God. He had a message that he said was directly from the creator of the universe, the supernatural realm. And so we're going to look here as we uh, continue our time in our foundational triads. Uh, today we're going to look at two different things in regard to these messages that are given. First of all, we're going to look at the gift of prophecy. And then we're going to look at the gift of evangelism. I want to prove first that Jesus represented both of those gifts perfectly, uh, prophet and evangelist. And then we'll go on to talk about how they relate to the church today. And so first we see Jesus, the prophet, the life of Jesus was first foretold in prophecy. Isaiah prophesied concerning him that he would be born of a virgin. He would suffer for our sake. He would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Zechariah, another prophet in the Old Testament, said that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver and that he would come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey colt and that he would be pierced for our transgressions. Malachi prophesied that he would be preceded by Elijah. This was fulfilled in the ministry of John the Baptist. And Micah foretold that his place of birth would be Bethlehem. In the Psalms, David told of his resurrection. And these are just a few of the over 350 Old Testament prophecies about Jesus that were fulfilled in his life in the New Testament. Now, God obviously wanted mankind to know about the coming of his son. And during his earthly ministry, Jesus continued to refer to himself as a prophet. In Matthew 13, 57, he stated that a prophet was not accepted in his hometown. This referred to the fact that he had rejected his, they had rejected his message. 
In Luke 13, 33, he said that a prophet should not perish outside Jerusalem. So that's why he needed to make the journey there as a prophet being killed in Jerusalem. Besides this, there are many times that he was called a prophet by people, including uh, the woman at the well, uh, because Jesus had really seen into her life uh, supernaturally, uh, knew that she was not married to the guy that she was living with and that she had five previous husbands. And upon hearing this, she declares, I see that you are a prophet, sir. And I could go on to talk about the countless times that Jesus predicted that something would happen, then it did. One example of this was when Peter was talking to Jesus about paying the, the taxes. Uh, Jesus told him, go cast your line into the uh, sea there and uh, pull out the first fish, open its mouth, and you will find uh, a gold coin. And so he knew ahead of time what was going to happen and which fish would have that coin. And so we get a good picture here of the prophetic ministry of Jesus, that he would hear things from God, knew certain things that you normally wouldn't know about the future. And he was relaying the heavenly message to mankind. And we have that message here preserved in the Bible. But we also must recognize that Jesus wanted the prophetic ministry to continue after he was taken up to sit at the right hand of the Father. And this is why he gave gifts to men. That's why he gave us the spiritual gifts, because he was going away and we needed to continue the ministry. We needed to be equipped for that ministry. And we know this was uh, one of the gifts that was left because of the timing in Ephesians. Here the passage that we are focusing on during this portion of our foundational triad. It says in verse 10 that he ascended, and coinciding with this ascension was the fact that he gave gifts to men to build up the body of Christ. And so if you notice the timing there, he goes away, but the gift continues on in his body, in his people. And one of those gifts that was mentioned was the gift of prophecy, prophets. But some might say, well, now wait a minute, Pastor Scott. We have the Bible now, and we don't need anyone to speak a message from God to us because we have everything we need in the words of Jesus right here recorded by his disciples. That should be the end of the prophetic. But if we simply look at the New Testament, we see in many places where God is speaking to people after Jesus ascended into heaven. I want to talk about three areas of the New Testament uh, gift of prophecy and comment on why Jesus would desire to continue to use people in this special gift. And notice, it's people. The gift comes through people. They speak, and God speaks through them. First of all, Jesus wants to prepare us. Paul faced many dangers during his missionary journeys, but probably one of the biggest times of danger was when he was returning back to Jerusalem after his missionary journeys. And so as a young man, he was there. He was an up and rising star. Um, he was surpassing many his own age. But he was seen as the deserter, the traitor. He had turned away from the thing that he was persecuting, and now he was part of it. And he was heading back there. And Jesus had a desire to prepare him for his trial that he would face as he came down in Acts 21. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over into the hands of the Gentiles. And that took place, right? And one of the kind of interesting things about this prophecy is it didn't actually change Paul's mind about his travel plans. <laughs> I'm sure that Agabus was probably thinking, you know, 
I'll go down there, I'll tell him this word, he knows I'm a prophet, and he'll change his plans. He won't go down there. But Paul said, I am not only ready to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so what I think was happening here was the Holy Spirit was trying to prepare him for that, tell him what was going to happen. And as part of the omnipotent Godhead, Jesus knows our future. He demonstrated this ability many times in his earthly ministry. He told Peter that he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. And it's interesting about that particular prophecy, because if you know the prophecy ahead of time, you'd think that you wouldn't do it. But Jesus knew what Peter would do. He knew his nature. And in regards to Paul, this was not the first time that Jesus had revealed to him what was in store for him. At his conversion in Acts 9.16, there appears a man named Ananias and says, I will show Paul how much he must suffer for my name. And so he gave him some kind of prophetic vision about what he was going to suffer. But Jesus is still in the business of preparing his people for those things that they will face in their lives. We see this truth in Amos 3.7 where it says, Surely the Sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. Notice it doesn't say there um, that God, the Sovereign Lord, will do nothing in the Old Testament without revealing it to his prophets. No, nothing means even in today's uh, world and his mission now. But one of the problems is that so many in our modern church do not believe in the prophetic, and so they subsequently silence the preparing voice of Jesus. How many times has the Lord wanted to warn his church, but there was not space for the prophetic ministry in the everyday life of the congregation? And this is a conversation that I think is very important for us here at Elam. How do we make a way in which we can receive the prophetic words that the Lord has for us? Secondly, Jesus wants to direct us. A couple of months ago, I preached about an encounter between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And right before they met, Uh, Jesus gave Philip a prophetic word. An angel originally sends him to a particular road and a specific time. But he has no clue who he's supposed to talk to. He doesn't even know what he's supposed to be doing down there. And it's not until he's actually there that the prophetic word moves him. He says in Acts 8.29, Go over and join this chariot. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, speaks to him and tells him, go over and talk to this guy. And here's a man who's ready to receive the good news. And Jesus leads Philip right to him. Now, imagine the impact that this would have in the life of the church. Part of the job of the council, which we're actually meeting after the service today, is to determine what kinds of events and ministries we're going to spend time and money on. Now, imagine if we took some time to pray about these decisions, and we do that, by the way, and right in the midst of our prayers, a prophetic word from Jesus comes to someone. That would be really an amazing, helpful thing. Now, notice that there are not specifics like this, that there are not specifics like this in the Bible. Nowhere does it say, say, this year I want you to start an after-school ministry for kids with learning disabilities. We don't see that. We see general rules for the church and for our lives. And I don't want to discount the fact that this kind of leading happens from the Lord all the time. I mean, we get these nudges or we get these senses of what we're supposed to do in moving forward. And we make decisions all the time. In fact, we say things like, the Lord led us to do this. 
But what if we had a specific way? For instance, consider the way uh, that the replacement for Judas was selected. First, they selected two qualified individuals, and then they did something that would be very unusual in the church today. It says, And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who knows the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in the ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Wow. Imagine choosing your next pastor like that. Come up to the altar here and throw some prophetic dice. Next, we see that Jesus wants to encourage us. Listen to an encouraging prophetic word that the well, uh, a well-respected woman at St. Ansgar's gave during a prayer meeting one time we were down there. She said, God says, come up to the mountain and I will meet you there. Do not be afraid. Walk with expectant hearts for I love you and I want to meet you there. We see that this ministry happens of encouragement in Acts chapter 15, verse 32. It says, And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words, words from the Lord. Jesus wants to encourage his church because he knows that there are many times we feel down and we wonder if the Lord really loves us. And so Paul calls prophecy one of the greatest gifts because of the edification that it brings. In fact, he says, seek the higher gifts, prophecy being the greatest uh, gift that's given. Next, we see that Jesus was an evangelist. The word evangelist means bringer of good news or announcer of glad tidings. As we consider this next uh, gift that's given by Jesus, it's important to recognize that the main message that Jesus brought was that of reconciliation between God and men, which is truly good news. Remember the evangelistic message that the angels brought to the shepherds in Luke 10, 11 through 12? It says, And the angel said unto him, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And so during his time on earth, Jesus focused on three main evangelistic messages. The first was, Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. To repent means to turn from a particular way of doing life. And so repentance is the first step in any reconciliation process, especially the process between God and people. We have to recognize that we are sinners and we are headed in the wrong direction. Imagine a person saying, yes, I want Jesus in my life, but I don't really need saving. This is like saying, I love Christmas with all its presents, parties, food, decorations, visits from Santa, but don't give me a, ba a baby in a manger. It's too depressing. And it is depressing, you know, uh, that God had to send his son down into this uh, squalor, basically. And we sing about Silent Night and all that, but I doubt that it was. And isn't this the main self-help message that we see in almost every New York Times bestseller? If you're a good person, you can have, uh, just look inside, get in touch with that good person in you, and have your best life now. And Jesus knew that there was nothing good in mankind, and so he starts with that message that smacks in the face of humanism and calls for a complete 180. People who have the gift of evangelism can sometimes be a bit harsh because they're always saying things like, repent, turn from your sin. And being told you're a sinner is never fun. Just ask my wife how joyfully I react when she points out some wrong attitude or behavior in me. I usually don't say things like, thank you so much, honey, for exposing my sin nature. 
It's for the same reason that no one likes to see a surgeon. We know that we are uh, sitting in front of him or her because something majorly wrong is happening in our bodies. But we sure are grateful once surgery is done and we are on our way back to optimal health. Evangelists are like surgeons, usually not fun to talk with, but necessary in pointing out our dire condition. The second evangelistic message that Jesus uh, was there to proclaim was, follow me. Recognizing your sinful state without following Jesus would be like getting a diagnosis from a doctor, but then not going ahead with a surgery. It would just lead to depression and death. Following Jesus means believing that he can do what he says he can. We trust him to save us from our sins. We trust that he has our best interests in mind. We recognize that he is the Lord of all creation and that we owe him our love and allegiance. And this is the great news. We're no longer wandering around in life trying to find purpose. We found it. This is the wonderful message of the evangelist. Not that we are sick, but that he has found the cure. But so many people get offended with the fact that they are sick and don't even want to hear about the cure. The poor guy's arm could be falling off from gangrene, but he'd rather die than admit his need for help. This was epitomized in the words of our illustrious former governor in Minnesota, Jesse Ventura. He said, organized religion is a sham and a crutch for weak-minded people who need strength in numbers. One evangelist put it this way, you can look at a chair and conclude that it will probably hold your weight, but until you sit in it, you have not actually put your faith in it. And this is what the gift of evangelism is all about, encouraging people to test out the chair. Third, Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. One of Jesus' last statement was, statements was, go and make disciples of all nations. When Jesus brought the good news of the gospel to those who were in darkness, he almost immediately sent them out to share the word. In our churches, this is how evangelists builds, uh, builds us up. They're continually encouraging us to share our faith with others. And it's amazing how we can get so excited about the latest cure for a particular disease or COVID ending or whatever, but when it comes to talking with others about Jesus, we get scared. And don't worry, you're in good company too. The disciples were scared also. They were so scared they were hiding in a locked apartment. But when Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit upon them, they caught fire. And this whole same Holy Spirit is living in each one of us. And by the way, he's not the tame version of the Holy Spirit. Back a, a while back, I was watching a documentary on flying silver carp. And these fish are so dangerous because they'll jump right out of the water into your boat and knock you out. Once in a while, I will fish um, out, you know, with my kids or whatever like that before when they were young. And, you know, you'd hope for fish. But to see a fish actually jump out into your boat, that'd be pretty incredible. And that's what happens sometimes. Sometimes, you know, we get people jumping into the boat. They'll walk into our church here. But usually they need to be caught. And remember, fishing is stinky work, and cleaning the fish is even more stinky. In conclusion this morning, interestingly, we have our own version of the oracle at Delphi right here in the area. Right up the road in Marysville, there is a psychic advisor business. People bring their gold and hope to get a message from the supernatural realm. But I want to encourage you that the devil can never invent anything new. He can only make copies of the real. And so when we see the fake out there, 
these psychic advisors, then that means that the real is right here in the place where God wants it, in his church. And so many times we get so worried and fearful that about the fake that we end up throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Jesus has given us some amazing gifts to build up his body because he does love us and he wants us to be near him. Will we open these gifts or we will just stuff or will we just stuff them in the attic? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these your gifts and I pray that you would help us here at Elam to know how to uh, incorporate them, to recognize them here in our ministry. And I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in us uh, as it is in heaven in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.